I was supposed to, why well, I was supposed to, I had lined up for this morning's service uh, when I'd done the, the God series about uh, what does God look like, and I thought that would be probably more fit for the next uh, uh, service, so I brought this one forward, which is uh, the next one in line, and why I have changed it is simply because of uh, the Christmas theme, and I think that it would fit well. And also, so I'm going to mention something today that may, may make us think for next time about this um, uh, thought and idea, what does God look like? So this morning, we will be looking at uh, what is God's character like? And the first thing that would come to your mind is that that's God's character. So look, I'm, I'm turning back because the front screen is not working. I don't like turning back. It's paranoia for me. I don't like turning my back on you. Uh, but uh, when we look at God's character, that's the first thing that comes to your mind. That uh, God is, uh, first of all, at the center of his character, there is love and there is righteousness and justice and kindness, and mercy, and there's faithfulness, and goodness, and forgiveness, and compassion, and we see that, and even when I went through the states at, at one of the camps, they were talking about the character of God, and that's what the, what the whole thing was about, and, and I looked on the internet, and I thought I'd, I was flicking through, I, I tried to get something, I thought maybe, maybe I'm missing something, but I think that the reason why everybody points at that and most of us would think about that is because that's what we crave for. That's what we want. That's what we expect from other people. And we expect that from God. We want God to be like that. We want God to be loving and merciful and kind, especially towards me and those that I love. Especially. However, I think that there is a much deeper, far more profound thing about the character of God. I think that there is something there that we are even afraid to go to because we might be afraid that perhaps God is going to ask me to be in like manner. And I think that the, the foundation, the fundamental part about God's character, so all that is good, don't take me wrong, all those things are part of God's character. But there is something that is more fundamental. You're going to say, are you going to tell me there's something more fundamental than love about God? And I will say, yes. And probably you're horrified now. That's okay. But there is something that is about God's character, that it's about truth. God is a true God. And God is saying that because if Anything that he says beyond this point, we have to believe. You see, if he said that at first is love and everything, and at the end would come truth, then we perhaps would question about love, and we would question about his faithfulness, and would question about his mercy, and so on. But when the fundamental part, the cornerstone of God is true, then anything that he says, we must believe. And what happened is that in the Garden of Eden, when there was a fundamental cornerstone there that God put, and he said, do not touch, do not eat, or he didn't say do not touch, but do not eat from that tree. When doubt was placed, that fundamental truth was no longer there. It was removed. And from that point, there was a game as for who is God. Is the serpent, is the human being, <coughs> excuse me, Adam and Eve, 
Or is it Yahweh, God himself? So this fundamental part about God's character is that he is true. And he, I said that we're going to be talking about what God is like. What does he look like? And in fact, this is something that he is not like us. He says, I am not like any of you sitting here. I know that we might feel uncomfortable. We might say, hold on, but, but I, uh, in the verse there in Numbers, for those that will be uh, listening, if anyone is listening at home, is uh, Numbers 23, 19. God is not a human that he should lie, or a, not a human being that he should change his mind. He, um, or he, does he speak and then not act? Does he promise in? Does he promise and not fulfill? So what God is saying that that is a characteristic of part of character. See, characteristic character. That is our characteristic. We, we human beings are like that. That's how he sees us. He may say, hold on, but I'm not a liar. I, I don't break promises. I, I was going to say I don't change my mind. I know that Wives will be saying that the husband changes their mind all the time. The, the husband will say the wife changes their mind. The, the kids about their parents and vice versa. Because we are human beings. And God is not like that. God is saying that what I am, I am. That fundamental truth does not change. In that part, I'm not like you. I'm not a human being. In 1 Samuel 15, 29, it says... He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. For he is not a human being that he should change his mind. This God wants to be known first and foremost that he is true. And that what he says is right. Which is totally different to what we are. Totally different to the way that we think. In fact... When God gave the first, gave the Ten Commandments, have you noticed that He doesn't say there, thou shall not lie? I should have put a test here. I'm sure that some of you would have said, yeah, He put that there. No, no, He didn't. God did not put in the Ten Commandments, thou shall not lie. He put there, thou shall not have a false, what? Witness or testimony against someone else. Yeah? And so when the, the clergy started interpreting that and people, they thought that it's okay to say something that is not true, provided I'm not saying something that is false about someone else, yeah? And, and you wondered why they had false prophets at the time of, of uh, Ahab and Jeremiah and, and so many that were speaking lies because they thought that it was okay. And so the law had to be reinterpreted. Yeah, so Exodus uh, 2016, what have I done there? My goodness sake, it, it died on us. Okay, not a problem. We continue. In Exodus 2016, it says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And remember I said before that the book of Exodus, in fact, the book of Deuteronomy, excerpts from there were the first one to be written by Moses. Everything else was then added on as time went on. And the book of Leviticus is one of the last ones to reinterpret the law. They needed to reinterpret that. 
And so in Leviticus 19, 11, it says, Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Because that is not the character of God. That is not what God wants. And the serpent was the first one that was a deceiver right in the garden. And God detests lies. God detests people that deceive. Thank you. And then it says, uh, continues saying in verse 12 in Leviticus 19, Do not swear false, falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And 19.13, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. All those things have to do with a character, with a character of God and a character of human beings. You see, we human beings have a character. After the garden, we develop this thing about a lie. So in the center of our lives is a lie. And therefore, we are prone to deception, to fraud, to false witness, to murder, pride, envy, stealing, hypocrisy. And all of those, you say, but how are they related to a lie? I'll give you an example. If I'm proud, am I living a lie? Huh? I am. I'm lying to myself. I'm pretending that who I'm not. Murdering. It's about pretending that someone else has done it. Trying to get away with it. So we're either living, believing, acting, or saying a lie. That's the prone character of humanity. And, and God detests that. And he detests it so, so much that he said that he will destroy those who tell lies. Psalm 5, 6. He will destroy them. There is no way out. And what he says about saying a lie, it's not just in that context. It's not just me saying something that, uh, you know, that I love you and I don't. It is about the whole thing about living, about convincing myself that I love you when I don't. It's about acting as if I love you and I don't. It's about saying it, about acting, about having that, that type of lifestyle and deceiving others and yourselves. In Revelation 21, 27, God revealed to Jesus and Jesus to John to write this, but there shall be by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. <clears throat> but those, sorry, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In 22.15 it says, But outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices what? Let's do it again. And whoever loves and practices a? Thank you. A lie. Why? Why it says that there that loves and practices? You see, um, in, in our, I heard so many people say, uh, even... Uh, even Herod said he wanted Jesus to, to see a miracle, to perform a miracle. He wanted to see a miracle. And we think, well, if Jesus, only if God done a miracle to show the world, what greater miracle than earth? What greater miracle than life? But people say, no, no, no. It's evolution. 
God did not create it. It just happened. It is believing or living or practicing a lie. And God says, any of those people will not be part of my holy mountain. There is another part about God's character. I'm touching on two today. <clears throat> I should have stayed with only one because <clears throat> the topic is just so big. But I'm going to stay with two. And the other one is, in God's character is they can and will do. They can and will do. We are the opposite. We are completely on the other side of the spectrum when it comes to this. So, just I want you to imagine. So God said that he's, he's not a human being, that he does not lie, he does not change his mind. Yeah, so, so that's the foundation of it all. And uh, there is nothing. And God says, let it be. He creates the world. He creates animals. He creates the universe. To him, it's about, I can do it, and I will do it. There is nothing that will stop me doing what I want to do. I'll prove it to you in a minute. And there is one part, I picked one, I could have picked many, but I, I picked one scripture for this. And that's a very well-known scripture. Pick Mark. I could have picked Matthew and Luke because it's referred to this in, in all three Gospels. And there is about a, uh, there were just a, a, an amount of transfiguration. They come in there and so uh, they, there is uh, uh, ten disciples there. Two are with Jesus and, and Moses and Elijah. And there is a brawl there and, and, and a commotion and, uh, and people asking what's going on. And in Mark 9.17 it says, a man in a crowd answered. You know, someone was gaming enough to say, Jesus asked, what's going on? And someone said, hey, teacher, I'm responsible for all this. I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And I have asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. He is at least honest. The disciples didn't show their hands. Lord, we, we, we tried to get this spirit out and, and we couldn't. No, but they're silent. Why? I feel sorry for the man. I think that he owned up to it. And, and Jesus said... Uh, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring me the boy. <clears throat> so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into the convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth, exactly as the father has described it. There's evidence there. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has it been like this? My question is, didn't Jesus know? Or perhaps he wanted us to know and the crowd and the disciples. From childhood, the father answered, it has often thrown him into the fire. Ouch. 
of water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. He didn't say take pity on him, take pity on us, me, my family, my wife. Take pity on us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. That word possible there, I spoke about this before, is not about a possibility, about the chances that maybe it will happen. It's not the possibility that uh, someone in St. Albans is going to win the touch lotto. It is a possibility of a certainty. Anyone who believes, this will happen. <clears throat> Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Question for us, a bit of homework for us here this morning. When Jesus said, uh, let's go back, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring me the boy. Who is he referring to? Who is unbelieving? Who does not have enough faith here? Disciples, the Father, everybody. It's not just someone. So the Father is, is at least confessing. He's saying, I, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I'm in two minds. I don't know what I believe anymore. You see, sometimes we human beings get ourselves in a position that we, we struggle. We, we no longer understand. In fact, what happened in the Garden of Eden, I'll, I'll refer back to that, is that um, we have changed everything. We have changed the word. We have changed the psychology. And ever since then, we keep changing. We change everything that God said. Yeah? I like this one. God said that we need faith as big as the mustard seed to move a mountain. Yeah? What do we say? We say, we need faith as big as a mountain. To move a mustard seed. Yeah? Oh, we need a lot of faith. Man of faith, where are they? God said, hey, you don't need much. In fact, he said that if how many people agree on something? I want to test you here. How many people agree on something that he will do it? Thank you. Two. It doesn't say two or three. It's two or three when they are gathered together. That's where God is and Jesus is. But if two people agree, I like that. You know why? Imagine that Serbia and, and Germany are playing soccer in the grand final. And two Serbs decide, we're going to agree that Serbia should win the World Cup. No, 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 no. That's not what God said. You get a Serb and you get a German and get to agree. Yeah? And pray. Because this is not a privatized faith. This is not about a faith of one singular, one person, one mind, one idea, someone that someone, something came to their head and they're going to say it. God is a collective God. God wants faith. When he says, if you, means a collective plural in Hebrew. It's not about you, one singular. This is not about what I, me, Oscar Dudok, believes. This is what we all of us believe. 
And you see, this is so important because it is not about my faith. I need you to believe with me and you need me to believe with you. This is about a collective faith. Yeah? This is not about me being on fire and you needing here a fire extinguisher. There's one there, by the way, in the corner. Should I catch on fire? Please turn me out. Yeah? Turn me off. Because unless all of us catch on fire, it is not good on me catching on fire. Can we get that? Do we understand that? It is about a collective thing. It's not only about me. Jesus was even more harsh in Matthew when he said, you unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring me the boy here. Bring it to me now. The character of God is about being able to do things. It is about a positive. You see, I was just uh, reading a little bit on Nikola Tesla, and they thought that he was a lunatic. Many of his contemporaries thought that he was a lunatic. He believed, first, that he could transfer electricity wireless. And he thought, he looked at the sky and lightning, and he thought, because lightning can travel, and when it hits the earth, there's thunderbolt, there is all these sparks and whatnot, I can transfer the positive through the sky through the atmosphere and connect to the negative and people can have wireless electricity. Then he realized that that idea was not good because earth was not a negative. Earth was also a positive. And then he thought, and that's when they destroyed his papers, he believed that planet earth was so positive that it acted like a solenoid. Now that's beyond me. I'm not an electrician. Uh, maybe, maybe Jess, I can explain that one day. But he believed that then you can transfer electricity through the earth, through the crust of the earth, under the ocean, through the ocean, because earth was a positive. There is no negative. When you look at and, and the, the, the forces of how the earth spins, how the universe works, it's all about a positive. It is not about a negative. So that's why it keeps turning. It's about being positive. And we know batteries were positive and negative. And so in this whole idea, God is always a positive and we are always the negative. And God doesn't want that. God wants us to be positive. You see, God created heaven and earth. We invented pollution. We thought, no, it's not good enough to have it clean. We need to pollute this place. We need to pollute the ocean, the rivers, uh, forest, everything. God created life. What did we introduce? Death. You know, there is Cain killing his brother Abel. God said you will die. And we say, okay, so if, if God said that we will die, God is a positive, he brought life. So therefore, we will not, we will beat God to it. We will introduce death. Before God kills anyone, we, I, Cain, will introduce death to humanity. God said, let it be light. What did human choose? Darkness. By the way, I love this one. <clears throat> we think that that's why God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, because he wants light, yeah? Maybe you should read Genesis. On what day sun, moons, and, and stars appear? On day one? On day two? On day three? Thank you. On day four? Some of you know your Genesis. 
God does not need the sun. If God needed the sun, the light of the sun, when he said, let it be light, then he could not go past our solar system. God does not need the sun. That's why in the New Jerusalem, there'll be no sun, there'll be no moon. God does not need it. We need it. God can do it. God can live in a light without the sun. That, that to me, it's beyond my thinking. But God can do it. Because he can. Jesus said, you can move mountains. What do we say? Oh no, you can't go against nature. God said, subdue the earth. We say, no, no, no. You know, you, you let nature can let nature take its course. Please. What part we don't grasp when he said, we sing the song, Savior, he can move the mountains. He? What about you? But see how we change things? He said, you can move the mountain. We said, no, 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 he can. What part you don't understand of what I want you to be, the life that, you, that I want you to live, your existence. Don't you understand that I want you to move mountains? Of course I can move mountains. I made them. But what about you? I want you to move a mountain. There was a lady. A missionary came to a village. And she would go every morning over a mountain to the other side to get water. And every evening... When the missionary came, she was so tired. And the missionary said, you know what? In the Bible it says that if you pray, you can move that mountain. So that night she prayed. When she got up in the morning, guess what she did? The first thing was look through the window. And she said, I knew it. The mountain was still there. She knew it. Where was the faith? God said, seek, ask, and knock. So we, we do it exactly what God said. It's just a little bit different. We first knock. We knock those that seek so they don't ask. Isn't the way that humanity works? We knock those that seek so they don't ask. God said, go into the world and preach the good news. We say, let the world come to church and hear. We know better than God. We change things. We, we are defying constantly. You know, it was not just the Tower of Babel. It was not just in the Garden of Eden. But constantly we are defying this God. Whatever God made, we're not happy with it. We want to change it. God made chicken. We said they're not good enough. They have to be hybrid. God invent, created corn and beans. We say, no, no, they need to be hybrid. They're not good enough. We are now saying we don't like the climate. We want to change it. You know, no, no carbon, no. We want to we change. We can change the climate. We don't need God. Latest one. I'm not happy the way that God made me. I'm a man. I feel like a woman. Or I'm a, or I don't even know what I am. 
I, I, there's supposedly some 53 genders. People that know who they are. People that even know what God created. At least if they ask what God created, maybe they, 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 they would have an idea and be, being able to ask, you know, who am I? But they deliberately, the first thing they say, I, I don't like what God made and I'm going to change it. Without asking him. There's not two or three people involved here. And in all this, this God remains unchanged and true. And this is the beauty of it. This is the part that I could not wait to tell you. When we were dead, he brought resurrection. When God created life and we introduced death, God said that is not your final word. I have the final word. And no matter what the price, you are not going to win. I'll bring resurrection. When we are poor, he says that we are what? That we are rich. This is beyond humanity. Beyond understanding. Why? Because he can. God doesn't need a bank book to make us rich. When we feel lonely, he said that he is with us. When there's nobody there with us or for us, God says, I am there. I am with you. I am here. You are not alone. In the face of disaster, he is our hope. When we are broken and unwanted, he says that he loves us. When we don't belong, he says that we are his. This God, his character is an amazing character. You know, no matter what I say about you, it will not make a difference to God. God will say, you know what, he or she is mine. No matter how hostile I may be towards you, God will still say that he loves you. I may choose not to visit you, not to talk to you, but God, it says it doesn't matter. I will. And even if all of us agree on the thing that we're going to ostracize someone and leave them outside, God will, God will say to that person, I am with you, regardless of what they say. You see, we are people that uh, we are, God is inclusive and we want to be exclusive. But nothing will change God's mind. God said that nothing can stop us, Him loving you and me. No angels can separate us, no human beings, nothing. Because He can and He will. He is a God of positive. He's a God that will change. We decided to rearrange the world through buildings, through everything that we have done. And God said, you know what, you don't, have the, you don't have the final word. If you think that you're going to reshape my world, I've got news for you. Go ahead, do it. I want to see how far you get. But I am building the new Jerusalem. It is me. 
I have the final word. The great I am is having the final word. And the great I am has the final word in your life today if you let him, if you allow him. He wants to have that word. He wants to give you hope. He wants to give you life. He wants to change and transform where you are, whatever you're not happy. That mountain that you go to get water every morning and every evening. He is willing. He is prepared to change it. But he wants you and me on board. Can you believe that? Can you believe that this God is a God of impossibilities? Sorry. He is not a God of impossibilities. I'm playing with words here. He is a God of possibilities. But see, it is not about an individual thing. There is nothing that I hope more that we as Christians can be on fire for the Lord. But this is not an individual thing about me. This is about us. It has to be contagious. It has to be more than one. It has to be two. It has to be three. And this is not about how long you have been here in this building. You can be here for the first time. God wants us to join us. To join us unto him and to have this faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you're a God of possibilities. That everything is possible for you. And Lord, we bring our uncertainty, we bring our unbelief, our doubts. We bring our illness, our mental, emotional, psychological, physical, spiritual, financial illness before you. And we ask you that you would change and transform your lives. Lord, we want to do it collectively with all your brothers and sisters across the world. But if that's not going to happen, we pray for us here. We don't want to be exclusive and unique. But if that's all that it takes, we pray that you would look at this congregation, the people that gather here, that you would bring salvation to us, that you would change us and transform us, that we will not defy you day after day after day, but that we would obey that we will learn to listen to what you're telling us. That you're God. Help us to read and understand what you're saying. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Lord, I know that we have a, a fire extinguisher here, but I don't think that we need it. We want to be on fire for you. We want to be alive with you. We want to thank you that you have the final word when it comes to life. That death is not the final word, but life is the final word. That the new Jerusalem and new heaven and new earth is your final word. There is a final showdown coming. Lord, help us to stay tuned. We ask you, we thank you, we pray that you would save us in Jesus' name.